This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions' three-part miniseries, Devout and Out. The show follows three LGBTQ individuals who have chosen to become or remain leaders in their respective churches. I've watched through this series twice, and it is easily one of the best series I've seen all year. It's smart, thought-provoking, conversation-launching, funny, heartwarming, and is going to show you a side of Canada you have never seen before. You can watch Devout and Out in Canada on the CBC Gem app or elsewhere in the world on YouTube. Enjoy. After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I'm your host today, Becky Shrimpton, and this week... Oh man, guys, we've got a real treat. I am talking to Canadian icon of stage and screen, Sheila McCarthy, about the film that launched the new wave of Canadian indie cinema in 1987. First off, where do you know Sheila from? Well, you may have seen her on a little show on Netflix called The Umbrella Academy as Agnes, or perhaps you're an orphan black fan and you saw her as Connie, and of course, as Polly in I've Heard the Mermaids Singing, which is exactly the movie we're going to be talking about today. It's Patricia Rosema's first movie, and it made it to Cannes, and also won the Prix Jeunesse there. It's beautiful, and I love it so much. It tells the story of this innocent and mildly incompetent uh, young office worker named Polly. Uh, she goes to work for this gorgeous, intellectual French-Canadian art gallery owner. And I don't want to tell you much more than that, but uh, she daydreams. There's these beautiful fantasy sequences. Um, there's a whole bunch in there about the nature of creation and art and not being a pretentious dick. I love it so much. And uh, here's what's even better. You can currently watch this for free on YouTube thanks to Encore Plus. So that's great. Uh, one more final thing. I'm still figuring out the best way to record phone calls for the podcast. Uh, a lot of people don't like to use Skype. I totally get it. So please bear with me for the difficulties in the sound quality. There's some really great stuff in the interview. It's totally worth your time. Just sort of muddy through where it gets a bit digital. So that having been said, here's my chat with Sheila McCarthy. Can I just uh, start off by uh, asking you to just describe from your point of view, what do you think I've heard the mermaid singing is about? Like, ultimately, the movie is about finding your passion and staying, and having the confidence to stay true to it and, and uh, against all odds. It's really... It's, it's really the story of a little underdog who, despite everything that happens to her, sticks to her guns. And it's, it's about survival, I guess. And that's not a message anybody needs, really. So we can tell, you know, why it didn't do so well in the grand market of things, winning the Prisoness <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, because I think it touched a nerve with people. I think it was, there's something sort of intrinsically Canadian about it, too. I think that, that, that it was like the little train that could, you know what I mean? It was... Um, you know, just a small little story about one little Polly, Polly Vandersma's survival. And I think it's just, it, it touched people in, in their very underdog um, selves. Now, I got to ask. So uh, there is some debate on um, if the can standing ovation was six minutes long or 10 minutes long. Now, were you there with a stopwatch? And can you clear that up for me? <laughs> well, uh, let me see. Um, it was, you know, that's, that's, I'm not exactly sure. I think 
it was one of those moments in that was so unexpected. I don't know the timeline of it because I was in a dreamland, but I loved every second of it. I was because you know I wasn't eighteen. Like I think I was almost thirty when when that when I did that movie or when it when it when it opened at Cannes. It had, you know, I'd been in the business since I was five, so it was a long time coming, and it was every little girl, every little actor's dream to be part of it. I really had a ball there. It was, um, you know, it was an interesting time for me. I was newly pregnant. I was doing Sally Bowles and Cabaret at the Stratford Festival, and then this movie exploded. So there was a huge triumvirate of events going on in my life that all, it all happened at once. Um, so I was allowed from Stratford to only go to the Cannes Film Festival for about 36 hours. But I remember every second of it. Oh, my gosh. What was the best thing you, you did or saw or experienced while you were there? Uh, walking out onto the Quasette when the movie was over and seeing hundreds and hundreds of people screaming, Polly, Polly, Polly. That was, you know, that was just a moment. <laughs> it was pretty incredible. So unexpected. So unexpected. You know, it was just, we didn't realize what we had really. Uh, yeah. I've watched interviews with uh, Patricia Rosema talking about how she pushed herself down consistently as she was making this being like, it's not going to go anywhere. No one's ever going to see it. We just have yeah. to make the movie. Just make it. Just put your head down and make it. And I feel that's oh. like 90% of the Canadian film industry. That's right. And you know, I mean, it was 18 days, mostly night shoots. I had done very little on camera, mostly a theater brat. So I was so tired and I thought oh this is just insane I just want to go to sleep um I and I thought oh who's gonna watch somebody in a flannel night eating a can of peas like I honestly thought no one will ever see this but uh, you know and I've in you know that was so long ago but I often think about that time I think because we didn't know what it was there was a certain freedom in the shooting of it which I've always tried to hang on to when I'm working just to say you know just keep it keep it a secret, you know? <laughs> well, that having been said, this film is credited for launching the the impact of the Canadian new wave, right? So you had people who were coming out of this, like Don McKellar, Bruce McDonald, mm -hmm. Ron Mann, Jer Jeremy Podeswa, Peter yep. Mettler, Adam McGoyan. Like this was like the big, like, boom, we now make movies yep. in Canada. Um, and yep. then of course, Mike Harris came along and cut everything. And Lily's was the last movie that was funded. Um, right. And also the, the Americans moved in after that. You know what I mean? There was this, you know, the, I remember at the, at the Genie Awards that year, there was Anzula Nui and Mermaids. And it was like, oh, this is like such a vanguard of Canadian film. And here we go. And yeah. And then it all just went away. But yep. in that time, what was the feeling? Like, what was it like to work in film and be around that kind of energy? Was there like a sense of promise? Could you feel the momentum going after mermaids? And what were your own personal expectations? Oh, well, I just thought I was going to be a big, huge movie star the next <laughs> night that walked the face of the earth. And it opened so many doors for me. And I was so, you know, on this ride for a couple of years that was just extraordinary. But I remember at the, you know, it opened the film festival. It was Canada proud. I mean, it, it wasn't part of the Canadian opening of the, of the film festival. It opened TIFF, you know, which festival of festivals. And there was such pride in that movie. And I mean, I did tons and tons and tons of press happily because I'd never done press before. And I, and, and I was very happy doing it because I was, just on this wild ride and that I thought would never end, you know, of course. Um, but it was a very heady time for 
Alexander Raffi and Patricia and myself because it was such a surprise. And then, um, you know, all of our lives were, were forever changed. I mean, you know, started doing more film and TV. And of course, you're in it for the long haul. But that certainly launched our careers, for sure. Was there a feeling in Canada at that time that like, yes, we can do this. We are we are now going to be the independent filmmakers we should be, almost like in the seventies with the takeover of the of the studio system by these new bright young things? Absolutely. Absolutely no question. There was absolutely no question that nothing was gonna stop. And especially, you know, these were all movies made for a dime. You know, Mermaids was two hundred and forty nine thousand dollars. I think I got paid about eight hundred bucks to do it. So this was even by today's standard really nothing. There was this feeling that to to garner that kind of success with low budget, then this is a beautiful niche that we should be in. And this, this there's so many filmmakers in Canada who can, will be able to afford to do movies like this, you know? And of course, that w w didn't happen as, you know, it didn't flourish the way we all thought it would. Sure. Well, then I'd love to talk about your approach to the character, because, I mean, you won the Charles Chaplin Award in Vevey as, a, <laughs> as this. And, I mean, basically, you're playing a clown for all intents and yeah. purposes. She's got that innocence and that uh, ex that sense of exploration that all the best clowns do. Um, uh -huh. How did you approach this character and develop her so that she's quirky but not hideously annoying? Yeah, well, she – well, it's interesting. Um, I – Listen, Patricia auditioned a lot of girls for this, a lot of actresses for this part, I know. And uh, when I went in to the for very first audition, I had just lost a big American TV series. I think it was one of the first American series shot in Canada called V.H. Adderley. And I was I couldn't believe I didn't get it. So when my agent phoned and said, well, there's this little movie and they want to see you Saturday morning at 10 o'clock. I'm going, all right, whatever. Uh, you know, I mean, I dragged <laughs> my head and I... Looked at the sides, and it was uh, the pages of monologues, all the stuff that Polly did to camera. I thought, oh God, that's so much, you know, so mu much to say. So I went in, and you know, there was something about that role that fit me like a glove. And I, it's it's hard to explain, but someone said to me once, it's almost like Patricia wrote your clown, Sheila. And I said, well, I didn't really know I had a clown, but anyway. <laughs> um, and then I was called back for another audition. And then another audition. I think by the end of the third or the fourth, I knew it inside out. I knew every word. And I just, I, I remember saying to Patricia Rosema in the room, you have to give me this part. No one can play this part. And she did. And I don't think that's ever happened to me. <laughs> but it's just, you know, it's, it's sort of, um, it's, it's an ephemeral thing. Like there's just certain parts that suit uh, some part of my being and I, it's it's hard to explain but there was just a certain you know I was the second daughter I was always the sort of plain Jane one I was the you know I was never the pretty girl I was never that so I think I could tap into a lot of that stuff you know is that half you know the population could tap into but you know I I was you know been raised as a dancer but I was always really a plain Jane and and uh you know the the quirky funny girl you know the best friend to the cute one so that's very much Polly and and she gets to be the hero, and it's about the celebration of the of the people who you know may not be outwardly that big and brash and That's saying right. words uh, that uh, we all want to be able to say in casual conversation. But right. but it's that charm, right? Yep. It, it, yeah, exactly. And I think that that is you know she's not a confrontational person. She's not a you know it was very much there was a lot about myself there was a lot of funny enough about my mother that reminded me of Polly and 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 um, you know just sort of on but I I've always said like as an actor 
if you don't have problems with a part, don't screw, don't get in your own way. And there was, I had no problem playing Polly. I never thought much about it. It just, I was just there. The Polly was just kind of there. And it's not always that way. There, you know, you, certain techniques you use to, to get to other places with acting, but somehow with Polly, um, it was kind of, it felt quite, for lack of a better word, it felt kind of organic and natural. This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions. For over 15 years, the team at Archipelago have been making groundbreaking and award-winning films, television, and corporate video. For brands like Google, Netflix, Etsy, Time Magazine, and the University of Toronto. Visit archipelagoproductions.ca to find out how they can help you elevate and execute your next video project. There's something I love so much about this film and that the balance of the character and the tone is, it's idiosyncratic and very odd, but it all works. And I mean, how did someone like uh, Paul Bayergeon or even Anne-Marie McDonald sort of yeah. find their tone to play off you? Uh, it could be so off-putting if it wasn't all within the same world. Well, I think for Paul, like it was so, she'd never acted in English before. That was a, an incredible hurdle for her. I mean, we just, I just adored her. She was so beautiful and so French and so like gorgeous. <laughs> like I just love her with the big shoulders and the jewelry and all that stuff in the eighties. It was hilarious to look at now, but you know, um, she was, I remember her saying, I want your part. My part is no fun. And I think she was, she was, you know, she was quite almost serious about it. She was very, uh, you know, but she was beautiful. And Anne-Marie just, you know, she was, again, just this beautiful sprite in the movie. And, uh, you know, everybody was on board. Everybody, Patricia, Patricia led the way. And uh, we, we were all just really, like, again, you know, I looked at those two women and I thought, oh, they're so beautiful those girls are so beautiful and I have never felt like that so I you know I always thought I wouldn't ever ever be on camera with you know sort of a weak chin and freckles I thought oh no there's no way that can. so I was always just going oh my god they look so gorgeous like Anne-Marie in her leather and I thought oh in the eyeliner and I mean that's where my, I was watching from going wow she's really pretty <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, you know, we've all got our stuff, I guess. Exactly. But in that, there's just such an incredible exploration of the nature of relationships and love because yeah. you're dealing with a sexual romantic um, lesbian relationship, but you're also dealing with a platonic affectation and uh, a, a relationship between two women, um, one-sided, but still, you know, Polly does yeah. fall in love with that character. And yeah. I mean, you don't see that on television or film even now. We're not discussing relationships in that level of complexity. Isn't that like, I think I talk about, I've talked about that a lot because it is extraordinary to me that 30 years, 32 years ago, this movie was made and it was not about being gay. It was so far removed, so inadvertent. And I remember when I first read the script, I thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm doing a lesbian movie. What will my mother say? What will her bridge, what will her bridge club say? And then when I got to the end of the movie, I went, oh, I don't even get to kiss her. Oh <laughs> and I remember thinking uh, on, when I shot it, there were, you know, there were a lot of, um, there was sort of a coterie of gay women around and not a single one came on to me. And I thought, what's the matter with me? But uh, that's a sidebar. What I, what I really want to talk about is the fact that Patricia wrote something that is, was so far advanced for 
the time now, this politically correct time, that that it, she very succinctly wrote about a love story and the fact that it was two women. And then again, the platonic thing for Polly and uh, and and the curator was that it was an adoration. It was how one feels about their grade two teacher. It was how it was just, it wasn't, it didn't matter that it wasn't sexual. It was much bigger than that. And um, and how extraordinary that 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 is one of the key elements that is the most successful thing about that movie is that it was beyond a gay film. You know what I mean? It just and and I just I so admire Patricia for that. You know, I just really it's great. And there's something often masturbatory about the way Hollywood sort of approaches their own internal films. Like you look at movies like La La Land and I mean, it wins yeah. all the awards and you're like, I just want to throw up and the outside world doesn't yeah. really care. But there's something about this one because it is dealing with art creation and making things, but mm-hmm. it's about the need for outside validation. Mm-hmm. And the, I'm going to make things and I'm going to think they're beautiful. And the minute I show it to someone else and I love this person and I respect this person and they have the power to just crush my dreams yeah. in just a single phrase. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that, I mean, it relates to everything. So even though we're talking about art and we're talking about creation in that way, it's so universal. And I, I think that's Absolutely. really what's resonant. Absolutely. I mean, I think the the... the Polly being so diminished in the movie by showing her art. I mean, it is always that thing of, you know, I, I write and I never want anybody to read it because I just think I don't want, I don't want my baby to be judged and to be judged. And that's very, very much, you know, at the core of one of the, you know, one of the key values of that movie is, is what do we do when we are diminished? Do we give up? Do we, when we are rejected or do we, do we, we, do we dust ourselves off and keep going? And, you know, God, in my business, you know, I always tell kids that I teach and coach or, you know, college kids, I say, you can think of anything else to do, do it, because this business is not for the weak of heart. And, and that, you know, you're right. Polly is the hero of that, of, of that movie. And I guess that's what, you know, anybody in their lives would hope to have at least once, you know, to be validated. So did you take anything further into your career from the character of Polly? Like, do you take little pieces and lessons from each of your characters as you move on? Oh, I think so. I mean, it was funny. When I was doing the Umbrella Academy last year, I thought, oh, my God, I got this part because it and I hadn't played very much like like Polly uh, for a long, long time. And I thought the the little role of the little donut whore, Agnes, you know, 30 years later, at 63, it's like I'm, I got the part because it's tapping into the heart of Polly again. And it was so funny to play this part and go, I know who this is. This is, and again, I don't know if you've seen Umbrella Academy, but it is, we're the, we're the, the little love relationship in it. And there's a, there's a real innocence to Agnes and yet guile that, that was Polly. And I just thought, oh, isn't that funny? That's been in my back pocket all those years. I, I, you know, depending, I always like to go in the characters I play to the Achilles heel. What, what makes this person cringe? What makes this person embarrassed? Or what, what, what are the weaknesses? What, you know, I, I love that place of, of, of going, even, even if I'm playing, you know, sort of a, the manager of a store and she's supposed to be, you know, a ball breaker. What makes her that way? What is her failing? You know, I love that. And that's interesting because that brings me into a point. Um, and we talk in the show a lot about the concept of the male dud. 
which is very, mm-hmm. very Canadian. And there's a great quote from Patricia where she uh, she said, it's very quietly, comfortably democratic, but plagued by a sense of inferiority. Um, <laughs> and I mean, that's just so quintessentially Canadian. Uh, yeah. Where yeah. do you think that comes from? Because I think, um, say, for example, like a Don McKellar character yeah. is very different from Polly in that with Polly, she's infused with a sense of hope, whereas the Don McKellar character is just going along mm-hmm. for the ride. Right. Yeah. Um, I don't know whether it's gender. I don't think it is. I mean, I'm thinking about Michael Sarah in Juno, or I'm thinking of, you know, he had a very Polly-esque thing going on. I just, I mean, we're beside this behemoth down down south. And I think every time I went to LA, you know, in my career, it uh, it, is funny, that feeling of being Canadian, that feeling of being the underdog. Um, Somebody said to me once, as Canadians, we look out whereas Americans look in. And I thought, compare, like looking out in terms of comparing ourselves, judging ourselves by the measure of, of, of another country. And I thought, you know, that's very true um, in terms of an Americans kind of look in. They have this intrinsic self-confidence that comes in their DNA. So I think that in terms of Canadianism, maybe that's why we're funny, because we, we don't have the confidence to just, to just think of ourselves as smart and brainy and, and and all together, we like to look at feelings. We, we find the inferior com- inferiority complex is an incredible um, world to wallow in as an actor because there's so much there that is so funny and moving and, and human. Yes. Entirely. And I think um, what shines the best in this one is that when Polly's heart is broken, yeah. your heart is broken because oh, she okay. has... Oh, she's she's gone along with the with the idea that she is inferior, and this other person has all the answers, and she knows how to create. She knows what art is. If only she could be this way, yeah. and then she's betrayed in a way she would never betray anyone else. Mm-hmm. And, right, but and I think there's a certain there's this also a certain pride after that. You know that 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 is us. You know that we are. You know that that I you, that one can rise from the ashes with a certain amount of. Right. And I think that that's, that's a really delicious part of it as well. You know, that she, she gets up off her feet and away she goes. And I'm yeah. always very afraid to go into the uh, Anglo-Franco politics of this, but I think it's very telling that it's a Quebecois woman who's playing a woman she wants to be. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. You know, I think that really, I don't think Patricia did that deliberately. I think she found a certain casting Paul was... She just thought, this is... I mean, so much has been read into this movie that never occurred to any of us um, that you can look at now in hindsight. But I really think it was just... Uh, there was a certain romance to Paul Bargeron and to her Elan that Patricia liked a lot, you know? Patricia Rosma, in 2012, wrote a manifesto for the Globe and Mail. She hates the word manifesto, but that's what they printed it as. Uh, and the uh, the phrase was about... Um, what Canadian movies need. And a big core of that was to stay alive, stay relevant, embrace new mediums, keep moving. And this was back in 2012 when she was already talking about the importance of YouTube and streaming. Do you see what uh, what she's talking about happening? And do you think we've embraced it? Do, we, do you think she's right? I do. I, I'm so encouraged by what's going on today. I do all kinds of student films and favors and, you know, um, just actor co-op things. Like most of I would say like half the work I've done in the last year, the most interesting work has been on the web and low budget and really guerrilla warfare shooting. And, you know, the little movie I did called Cardinals, we did for nothing. 
I do. I think there's um, an incredible reemergence of the Canadian voice that's going on right now that by, you know, kids, you know, 20s, 30s. And I'm so, I'm incredibly encouraged by it. I love it. Yeah. Uh, and do you have any last thoughts or uh, rem- memories of being on set? Honestly, I remember just wanting to go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I remember when I finished shooting, my father, who was a photographer slash doctor, said, oh, Pat, I know you're very tired, but I just want to take a few photos of you. I said, oh, Dad, I just, I've been up for 18 days. He said, let me just take, and the shot that he took, is the one that's on the poster that went around the world. <laughs> and uh, that is my father's work. I just, I just love that. And it, it, I, I would hope for every young actor, they have a mermaids in their life that comes along. I felt very, I didn't know it at the time, but I sure do now that it was, it changed the course of my life. And I, um, you know, it was an amazing experience for me in my life that has really resonated for all these years. It's incredible. I just want to say that I met a woman in Guelph. I was hosting a benefit. And she said, I saw your movie. I was living in Luxembourg. And that's why I moved to Canada. I just burst into tears. I said, she said, I saw I've heard the mermaid singing in Luxembourg. And she said, I immigrated to Canada because of your movie. And I went, okay, wow, that's amazing. So you just never know. <laughs> who you're inspiring, what you're touching, yeah. it's put your wow. head down and do the work, right? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty great. Oh, well, thank you so, so much for your time. Oh, oh, my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart, and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.